of you here tonight, some new faces as well. Welcome. Glad you're uh, taking some time with us. If you're listening online, uh, I'm glad because last week we encouraged you if you miss or if you heard last week and missed this week, it, you might get yourself in a little bit of trouble. So we want to kind of uh, uh, close up some loose ends with tonight's message. And if you're hearing like, I missed last week, don't worry about it. It's, it's all good. Uh, you, you'll, uh, you can go back and listen to it online if you'd like. But tonight too, it just, it's, uh, it's part two and it uh, kind of closes everything together. So um, a couple of months ago, actually, I guess around the end of December, I was listening to Andy Stanley doing a series and something that he said just lit up on the inside of my heart. I was like, as I heard the words, I was like, just something came alive again on the inside of me. I was like, man, we have to talk about that at some point. So two months later, here we are. And uh, just felt like, man, I've been, I've been so, I don't know, excited about this. And I hope that it lights up in your uh, heart and your life as well. Uh, and it's really about, you know, what someone was talking about this. And we're singing about the idea of the cross and, and what happened there. And uh, I guess before I get too far ahead of myself, I just want to leave you with four thoughts tonight. So if you're like taking notes or you're wondering when's he going to be done, uh, the four things are this. Uh, number one, that scripture foretold this thing. Jesus commanded it. Uh, Paul explained it and you can live it. Those are the four things I just want to share with you tonight. Three statements, one challenge. Scripture foretold it. Jesus commanded it. Paul explained it, and you can live it. So maybe we'll just jump right in as Scripture foretold it. You know, that as, as you, Christmas wasn't too far, too far away. I was listening to Christmas carols tonight on the way here, and just, uh, I know, it's probably weird, but, but the, it's thinking about the birth of Jesus, that God loved me so much that he sent his son. Uh, and the birth of Jesus, that was prophesied and promised for thousands of years. I guess tonight's message is like 6,000 years in the making. And uh, uh, he was promised that he would come, and he was mentioned throughout Old Testament scripture for years and years. And then the final, the final prophecy, the final promise that the Savior was coming actually happened only months before he was born. He was already started. He just wasn't, he just wasn't born on the planet yet. And Matthew, Matthew actually writes about this account. As he, as he uh, learned this from, uh, from Mary, he wrote uh, an account of the life of Jesus. And he was an eyewitness follower of Jesus. And so, you know, as they saw Jesus, a man who died and rose from the dead, they wrote about his life. And, and here's, here's what they wrote in Matthew chapter 1. If you have your Bible, you can follow along. It says, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. It says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. Uh, his mother, it said Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. And, uh, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of Holy Spirit. And you're like, well, this isn't new. I've heard this before. I've heard this every year at Christmas time. It says this, Then Joseph, to whom she was engaged, he was a righteous man. He didn't want to disgrace her publicly, uh, and so he decided to break the engagement quietly. He's like, you know, Mary's pregnant. There's got to be some guy in the neighborhood. They just don't know. Mary's like, no, it wasn't anybody. It was God. And they're like, okay, so this girl, not only is she pregnant, she's crazy. I'm not marrying her, right? He's like, I'm just going to do this quietly and, and, uh, and, and put her away. But as he was thinking about these thoughts... And again, real people. Sometimes we read the Bible and we think, oh, you know, these were like superheroes. Just picture yourself in that spot for a minute. If you're, if you're married, trying to explain that to your future husband, trying to convince him. If you're Joseph, believing her, it's a difficult spot. And as he's wrestling with that, as he's kind of tormented in his mind of how he's going to make this right, it says an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream. 
And in this dream, it is so real to him. The, the angel says to him, Joseph, son of David. The angel says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She's telling you the truth. And then there's this verse. It says, she'll have a son, and you're to name him Jesus, and he's going to save his people. And Joseph, as he hears those words, he's going to save his people. He's, he's, he begins to realize Wait a second, like it's really happening. We've been waiting 4,000 years for this, and it's really happening, like it's happening now, and it's my son, and he's going to save us. And, and he would have said to the angel, angel, you don't even have to tell me the rest. I know what he's going to save us from. He's going to save us from the oppressors. He's going to save us from Rome. We've been like, we've been stuck as slaves for so long. Finally, the Messiah is coming. But the angel doesn't tell him that. The angel says something that is so powerful, and yet if we speed through, we just miss it. He said to Joseph, he says, you're supposed to name him Jesus, for he'll save his people from their sins. And Joseph's probably like, "Uh, that's not really what we need to be saved from. You know, thanks a lot, angel, but that's really not our biggest problem right now. He wasn't all that, probably all that excited about that. He, you know, he, he would probably have said, if he could, he would probably tell the angel, angel, we already have a solution for sin. It's called the temple. We just, we slaughter animals and it covers our sin. It saves us from sin. We really don't need someone to come save us from sin. What we need is someone to save us from Rome. And if you want to save someone from sin, save Rome from their sins because they're committing all kinds of heinous crimes every single day. That's what we, that's what we really need. We need like a warrior king. We, we don't need someone to save us from sin. And as, as we think about that. And we talked about last week, this idea of being forgiven. Do do you ever wonder why, like maybe even in your own heart or people around you, don't just get up and get so ecstatic about the fact that they've been forgiven? It's like you're forgiven of all your sins. That's true tonight. And if I tell you that, you're forgiven of all your sins. Nobody's cheering. Don't now, because it's not like Gary when I say clap, clap. It's like, you know, if it's honestly there, if it's honestly there, you know, that idea of I'm forgiven for all of my sin. <gasps> that's amazing. How, how come that's not the response? Have you ever wondered? Why isn't that the response? And, you, you know, here's, here's part of the thought tonight is this. As we read that, that scripture, it says, for he will save his people from their sins. But when we read it and what we've kind of been conditioned to, to hear and to see, we hear it differently. We hear this, that he will forgive his people for their sins. And that part's true. That part's true that we are completely forgiven for all of our sins. We're in right standing with God, not because of our behavior, but because of what Jesus has done. We talked about that last week. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're right with God. You're good with God because of what Jesus did. And it's correct, but it's not complete. It's not the whole story, and it's not the most amazing part. And that's probably why people aren't like cheering ecstatically that our sins have been forgiven. Last week, we talked about, about this thought of you are completely, co- completely forgiven. But as we think about forgiveness, for many, forgiveness looks like this. It looks like this cycle that we have of we fail, we apologize, he forgives us, we start over, repeat. You know, it's like shampoo, right? Wash, rinse, repeat. It's like sin, repent, forgiveness. Sin, repent, forgiveness. Sin, forgive 
uh, repent, forgiveness. Same sin, you know, same repent, forgiveness. And it's this cycle that goes around and around and around. And, you know, we're thankful, you know, that we're free from the eternal penalty of sin someday. We're like, thank you, Jesus, that I'm not going to hell. But we live in this cycle all the time. And it's like the, 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 the joy. I don't, maybe, for those of you who are followers of Christ, do you remember that first time that you said, God, I'll follow you if you'll take me and forgive me? Do you remember what it was like? It was like, a weight gets lifted off of me. And I thought, you know, I'd try and explain this with you in language you might understand. And it's not words, it's emoticons. So the first emoticon you felt like when, when, uh, you know, sin was taken off is like, I love everybody, you know, (laughs) like I just, this is amazing. And, And then the cycle happens and you experience sin. You're like, oh, you know, and you repent, and it's like, oh, the next time you're forgiven, it feels like this. It feels like, oh, phew, I'm still forgiven again, right? And the next time it goes around, you're like, well, I'm pretty happy that it's happened. And the next time that it kind of goes around again, you're like, oh, well, okay, thanks, I think. You know, and as it goes around, you're like thinking, man, oh, not, not again. You know, I, I thought I was past this, you know. I thought I was done. And, and then it goes around again, and, and you get to that spot of thinking, oh, Oh, you know, God, do I really repent again for this? And the last one, you know, as it happens again, you're like, is anything really happening? Like, is anything getting fixed in my life? And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I can just see some of you nodding. You're like, yeah, yes, I, I have experienced this cycle of forgiveness. And it's why, it's why we're not like, yes, thank you so much for forgiving me. Because there's a little bit of us that thinks, I'm just on the cusp of I'm going down again. And I want to talk about that tonight because, you know, we talk about repentance, this idea of repentance. And we often, when we hear that word, we think of like the emotional side of it. Like, the, God, I'm so sorry for my sin. And there's tears and there's heart-wrenching feelings. And afterwards, it's like, oh, this feeling of peace, this feeling of joy. But I want to challenge and encourage you with this thought. Repentance isn't a feel-better moment. It's a live-different lifetime. That's pretty good. Like, I made that up, but that's pretty good. Like, (laughs) repentance isn't a feel-better moment. It's a live-different-lifetime. You can take a picture of that. That's something that, like, I don't tweet, but I would if I did. Like, that would be it. It's not a feel-better moment. It's a live-different-lifetime. And that, you know what I've realized is an emotional experience doesn't lead to a transformed life. It never does. What leads to a transformed life is a renewed mind. That's what um, Paul wrote to the Romans. He says, um, be transformed by the way you think, by changing the way that you think. And so tonight, my heart, my hope is that part of uh, that this message is part of that process of a changed mind for you. Because I know if a changed mind happens, there will be a transformed life sitting in every single seat in this place. Here's the thought. Jesus came for more than forgiveness. Last week, we talked about there's complete forgiveness, but there's more than that. He came to save us from sin, not forgive us for sin, not just to get us back to zero. And sometimes we don't understand how being saved works. Uh, it's interesting, my son Maddox, he's like, he's a, he's a pretty smart kid, but he thinks he's smarter than he is. He will teach you stuff with matter-of-fact uh, voice, but has no clue what he's talking about. The other day, well, a little while back, he was talking about how lifesavers work. And so we had these candy lifesavers. He's like, these are lifesavers. And so he begins to tell me, he's like, Dad, do you know how lifesavers save lives? 
And I was like, I do not know, but I would like to. And he says, Dad, lifesavers save lives because when a kid is drowning in the water, you just rattle the lifesaver in the package and the kid will want the lifesaver and will come out of the water. Genius. I'm like, it, it, doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't quite work like that. But a lot of us have these ideas, these thoughts about how we think forgiveness and how we think what the cross did or what, what it, uh, how it works in our life. And, and Scripture said something different than what our experience of the cycle is. And John 8 tells us an account in the life of Jesus. It's one of two accounts where he, he does this thing. And, and here's the part where Jesus commands it. it the story uh, begins with Jesus going to the temple really early in the morning. And again, this is not a new story. You've heard it many times. Uh, as he's there... He's, he's pretty famous. People like to hear Jesus talk. And so pretty soon there's a whole crowd gathered around him. And the religious leaders who hate the fact that there's a crowd around Jesus have come up with a plan. And so they, they catch a woman in the act of adultery. And they bring her, whether that was the, that night or the night before, they drag her to the temple and they throw her down at the feet of Jesus in front of the crowd. And they say, Jesus, um, Moses says that this woman being caught in the act of adultery should be stoned. What do you say? And this woman realizes that she's at the mercy of one word from this great teacher. If he says stoner, she's done. And as she's there, she has, she's got no, um, she's got no alibi. She's got no nothing. She's been caught, you know, red-handed. And so she's at his mercy. And, you know, Jesus knows the law that these guys are talking about. He studied it as a child. He knows it, uh, he knows it so well. He knows that what the law says in Deuteronomy is that the witnesses, whoever they are, the two witnesses, it says, are the ones who are to cast the first stone in a, in a situation like this. But Jesus doesn't say, hey, yeah, you're right. She should be stoned. Whoever was the witnesses, go stone her. He says something completely different. First, he ignores them for a while. And then when they finally, like, tell me, tell us what to do, you guys know the, the words. He says, whoever is without sin, let that be the person to throw the first stone. And so all of the accusers, they start thinking, and the, the, eld, the eldest ones leave first. They realize, yeah, yeah, I, I've, I've got sin in my life. I, didn't, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, I can't throw the first stone. I'll leave that for someone else. Pretty soon everybody leaves, and, and, and we find this part where Jesus is left alone with this woman in front of a crowd. See, I, I forgot to, I never really realized that this all happened with a huge audience. And as Jesus and this woman, you know, for her, her shame on display, they brought her to the temple. Like, it's bad enough to get caught in the act. It's worse when they bring her to church. And for a lot of Christians, that's the same thought. You're like, oh, there's this part of shame in your life. But then it's like, and then when, it, you know, you're, you're at church, it's like the guilt feels even stronger. Here's what Jesus said to her, and I believe it's what he says to us. He's, it's powerful. It, it says this, then Jesus stood up again, and he said to the woman, and, and, and he takes her up, and he says, where are your accusers? Did even one of them condemn you? And her response is this, no, no, Lord. And then here's the famous, there's, Jesus says two things right here. One is famous, and everybody's, everybody's heard it and remembers this part. He says, neither do I condemn you. He says, I don't condemn you. And then he says one more thing. He says, now go and sin no more. I'm not condemning you. Yes, you've been caught red-handed. Yeah, you, you're feeling your guilt. You're feeling your shame. But I didn't come here to condemn the world. I came that the world through me might be saved. 
And I'm forgiving your sin because I'm God is what he's saying to her. You know, we don't have to sacrifice anything at the temple. You are forgiven because I can forgive sins is what God is saying to her. And then, and it's what he said to us. And then he says, now go and sin no more. And we're like, what? Is that even possible? Like, okay, I've heard this before and I've tried to do this before. And, and, you know, he had, Jesus had said this to a man that he had healed at the pool of Bethesda as well. He says, go leave your life of sin. See, it wasn't just coming to this woman and saying, you know what? Yeah, here you go. I'm going to set you back up at zero. And now when you go home tonight and continue your affair, well, come back here and I'll set you back up at zero. He's like, no, 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 no. Go, go. I've, I've put you here. I've done that for you. But now go and sin no more. John 10 verse 10. It just explains the purpose, the reason Jesus came. It says this, the thief doesn't come except to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. When, when Jesus is talking about this, he's like, this is bigger than forgiveness. I've come that you might have an incredible life. Those words, there's a bunch of words in here. I put them in yellow up there. The word may, that word may means might. That this might happen in your life. I've come that you might be able to have life more abundantly, which means it's not a guarantee. Which means there's something in the equation that's missing from what Jesus' side is, is saying. He's like, I've come, and my purpose is that you would have life. And that life, here's, here's the words. We just use the word life. When they translate these words, they, they use a whole bunch of different meanings for this. They mean real, genuine, active, vigorous, devoted to God, blessed life. That's just the word life. And he says, I want you to have life like that, and then I want you to have that abundantly. This idea of over and above, more than necessary, super added, extraordinary, real, genuine, active, vigorous, devoted to God, blessed life. Anybody want that? See, Jesus like, that's why I came. I, I came to give you that. And he says, and these, these words is that that would be present. See, because some of us like, yeah, that's heaven. <laughs> you know, someday that's where I'm going to go and I'm going to have all of that. Thank you, Jesus. And he's like, no, no, that's now. You might have that now. See, Jesus came not to just forgive us from sin. He came to save us from, from the power of sin in our lives. The power of sin. Uh, and that we might experience that freedom here. Uh, this week, I was watching a couple documentaries and researching some things on, on Alcatraz Island. And uh, Alcatraz, that, that story, it just never ceases to amaze me. They keep trying to find ways to find out if anybody escaped. Uh, and many, many people, including Al Capone, were kept in, in solitary confinement on this island in this maximum security prison. And uh, they would only get to go to the rec yard. Some of them would only go to the rec yard for one hour a week. One hour a week. You know what I thought about that? Because I feel like, you know, sometimes like the prison, the cycle of sin feels like that kind of prison for many followers of Christ. It's like this prison that, you know, every once a week you get one hour at church where you feel like, oh, oh, I'm forgiven. He told me, I, I believe that I'm forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. I can sing. And then you go home into the cycle. And it's like for another week you're stuck in your cell. And, and it's this idea of I want to escape, but I don't know how. Did you, you know, as, as, I, as I compare those two, you know, there's, there's no confirmed successful escapes from Alcatraz. 
security uh, prison, no, nobody has successfully that they know of escaped from there and lived. You know why? Because the escape is so difficult. There's a guy named Frank Morris and two uh, brothers, Anglin brothers, I believe is their last name. They, they came the closest. And it shows that here on this picture, their journey, you can see where they were because to escape from Alcatraz required a couple of things. Number one, it required that you uh, a cut, either cut through the tool-resistant bars of your cell uh, or you dug through one foot thick of concrete in the walls of your cell. And once they got through the walls of the cell, they had to climb three stories to the roof in this tiny little um, uh, corridor that was between the walls, just climbing on the plumbing pipes. Then once they got to the top, they had to remove this heavy, uh, this heavy ventilation shaft cover off the top. And then they had to cross a flat roof, avoiding the, the guards who were in the, in the guard towers who could see clearly this flat roof. And you can see it right there at the top. And as they get to the end, they got to climb down a stovepipe and climb down four stories to reach the bottom level and the ground level. Then to climb over or cut through the barbed wire fence, still avoiding the, the view of the guards. And then that's the easy part. After that, they got to get in the water and cross the San Francisco Bay, which within 30 minutes of being in that water, it takes an expert swimmer almost an hour to swim across. But within 30 minutes, you'll, you'll suffer hypothermia without proper... Um, a proper wetsuit. Not only that, there's currents that will take you out into the ocean, and there's sharks all over in that water. And you've got to get to the beach on the, on the shores of, of San Francisco to be free. You know, for some and, and for myself, I remembered, you know, as, as I struggled with addiction in my life, and I struggled with that cycle of sin in, in my life, there was a moment in there a few years back where, as we were studying Galatians, this verse of Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul wrote to the Galatians, and, and he said, listen, the same idea of what was prophesied before, what Jesus commanded, he says, is this. He says, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. I remember reading that, and I remember realizing that that was true for me, that no longer was I in this cycle, that I'm not a sinner or an addict trying to defeat sin. Uh, there's no escape in that way. I, I realized that Jesus has already set me free and said, just don't go back. I remember that. I remember the feeling and realizing and, and, and realizing that, you know, when I looked at sin, I thought, man, I'm stuck in this cell, and if I can get out of here, then i got to get over those walls. Then i got to get through that corridor. I've got to get through that, that fence. I've got to get past those guards. I, 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 there's just so, it just seems so difficult. And then the truth was that Jesus, he says, I've already done all of that for you. I've done everything, and I've set you on the shore of the beach. Now just don't go back there. The same thing he did for the woman. He's like, I'll forgive it all, everything you've done. Now just don't go back there. Leave your life of sin. Leave it behind. Paul, the Apostle Paul, as we know him, wrote most of the New Testament, wasn't always a great guy. He was a straight-A student in the Old Testament and the law, which made him a persecutor of the church and a murderer. But then he experienced the life-changing power of the cross. And he writes a letter to the followers of, of, of Jesus in Rome. And he explains to them, this is what Jesus came to do. He explained to them that God's amazing grace had forgiven all of their sin already. And that led them to this question, you know, because in our, in our humanness, there's this thought, well, if I'm already forgiven, then I guess I can just keep doing it because I'm forgiven. And, and so Paul says this to, to them in Romans chapter 6. If you have your Bible, you can find that. Romans chapter 6, verse 1, Paul says, well then, 
If you've been completely forgiven, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? He's like, of course not. Since we've died to sin, how can we continue living in it? He's like, this cycle. He's like, should we continue in the cycle just because there's forgiveness? He says, no. In Romans chapter 6, verse 12, he says, he says to them this, don't let, do not let sin control the way you live. Don't give in to sin's desires. Don't let sin reign, it says in the King James Version. Don't let sin be the king, be the ruler, be the master of your life. Why would Paul give that kind of command if it's not possible? Why would he say, hey, don't let sin be the boss in your life if it wasn't possible? Because he understood something that each of us has to understand is that Jesus set us free to stay free. He did it all so that we could live that out. Tonight's message is titled, it's called Forgiven Living. That once you've been forgiven, you can live in that forgiveness. And it's not a cycle. It's living in the power over sin. Romans chapter 6, verse 13, it says this. Don't, don't let, again, don't let, you have choice. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. I know that person frustrates you so much you just want to reach out and smack them. He's like, don't let your hand serve sin. Then maybe it's your voice. You just want to tell them off. Don't let your tongue serve sin. He's like, don't let any part of you serve sin instead. Because there's another option. Like in all that stuff where you feel like, oh, that's, it's in me. That, that, that idea of sin wanting to, to reign. He says, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. You already have new life uh, because of Christ. He says, so use your whole body as an instrument to do what's right for the glory of God. He's like, don't let any part of your body serve sin as king. He's like, give yourself completely to God. It's this idea of say yes to God. Say yes to God. See, later on, you can read it in the rest of this chapter. Paul explains to them that what you say yes to eventually becomes your master. See, we think that we're our master. That's the greatest lie of the enemy is that you're in charge. See, we say, we say yes to something because we think we're going to find our own way to happiness. And this is, how it, this is how the cycle starts every time. It's like you want to say yes to that drink, and pretty soon you're not the one saying yes anymore because it, it was never you even from the beginning. That idea of saying, you know, yes to that lie or yes to greed or yes to whatever it is, yes to that woman, yes to that man, yes to that website, yes to that pill. I'm going to find my own way to happiness. One day you wake up and realize, I want to stop, and you can't. You find yourself in the cycle, and it's like, I, I, I can't. I can't stop. It's become king in my life. Romans chapter 6, verse 14. Paul said to them, don't let sin reign. Don't let sin reign. And here's why. He says, because sin is no longer your master. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. He's like, he personifies sin. He just says, it's like, you know, you wonder, what's, what is sin? Sin's that voice in your head that always tells you to do the opposite of what you know is right to do. It's like, you know, it's that, it's that other side that's, that's kind of baiting you to go in some way, and then, and then you feel horrible after we all have it, whether you call it sin or whatever you want to call it. It's always trying to get you there. And he says, you know what? I want to tell you, like he said to that woman, go and leave your life of sin, meaning this is not your master. You don't have to stay in this lifestyle if you don't want to. Not because you have the power, because I've done it for you. I've done it for you. 
Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says this, for the wages of sin is death. See, see, here's the why. Here's the why. The wages, the payment for sin, for that saying, I'm going to go my own way. I'm gonna, I, yeah, I'm going to say yes to that. He says it's death every time. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. He's talking about that same kind of life again. See, I, I don't know if you know this, but sin always kills things. Always. It's not, it's not, this, it's not this religious um, saying or, or theology. If you think about it, how many of you have ever seen a marriage that's been killed by someone's sin? Someone cheated and now the marriage is killed. How many of you have seen finances where, you know, lack of self-control has destroyed and killed your, finan- your financial plan? How many relationships where between husband and wife, parent and child, child and parents been destroyed because of one of their sins, one of their greed, one of their anger, one of their addiction, one of their gossip, sin-killing things? See, and, and that's why Paul's saying to them, listen, sin's not your master, and if you follow it, it's going to kill things in your life. And here's the biggest truth of it all. Even forgiven sin kills things. See, that's why he's saying, don't don't think that you can just keep sinning and God's grace covers it. Yes, you're forgiven. That is true. God's grace covers it, but it's still killing stuff. There's people in prison who've apologized, who've repented for, for their sin, and they're forgiven by God, they're still sitting in prison. There's marriages, you know, where, where the husband has cheated and he's said he's repented before the Lord and God's forgiven him. His marriage is still broken. There's people who have, you know, used lack of self-control to spend all their money in all kinds of crazy ways and then they get to that spot where they repent and God's forgiven them. They're still broke. The, see, the penalty here. We're not saved from every penalty here, but we're saved from the power of sin, which means we don't have to keep experiencing the penalty of sin. And that's why Paul's telling them, don't let sin reign. You don't have to let it reign in your life. There's a greater joy out there than just being forgiven of all of your sin. That greater joy is living in the freedom uh, uh, over the power of sin in your life. As a follower of Christ, you have a new master. You have a new master, and it's not the law of God. It's not the rules of God. It's the very spirit of God from the inside as a new master. And you can say at any time, as a follower of Jesus, you can say at any time, sin is not my master. Man, I don't know about you guys, but for me, just like, (gasps) there's so much strength, so much encouragement in that thought. Do we have that sin? Just leave that up there for the rest of eternity. Sin is not my master. What does that mean for us as followers of Christ? And I'm shutting her down right now, so don't miss this last part. This is the truth. The truth is you have been set free because of what Jesus did on the cross. You have been made righteous. You're made right with God, which means if you're a follower of Christ, you are right with him now. You're good with God right now because of what he's done. And he says, I don't condemn you. I'm not holding your sin against you. But now go and sin no more. He's not saying now go and try and live perfect or you're not going to heaven. That's not how it works. We said that last week that my son Maddox, if, if, he, um, if he sins, I'm not kicking him out of the family. That's not how he got into the family. It wasn't by his behavior. He was born into the family. And I'm not kicking him out because of his, his behavior if he gets things wrong. It's the same idea with Christ. He says, you've been born into something amazing. You've been born into complete forgiveness. But it's not just that. You've been given now the power to say, sin is not my master anymore. 
You've been set free. You've been taken out of prison, set on the beach and saying, now just don't go back. Scripture promised it. Jesus commanded it. Paul explained it and you can live it. What does that mean for you? Tonight it means this, that greed, greed is not, is not your master. It means this, that lust, lust is not your master. Anger is not your master. Prescription drugs, not your master. Alcohol, it's not your master. That bad habit, not your master. Lying, it's not your master. Gossip, it's not your master. At any time, you can say no to any of these things simply because you have a new master. And the truth is this, it can try and tempt me, it can try and talk to me, it can try and bait me, it can try and entice me, but it's not my master. The next time you face it, knowing that as a child of God, it is not your master, that you can walk free and live in that freedom. And do you know what? There's an incredible, incredible joy in that. And so tonight, I just say that to every follower of Christ, my prayer tonight for you has been that that would light up on the inside, that the next time you face the cycle, you are not my master. Jesus, I give you every part of me. Let it be used for you. I say yes to you, God. And in that, I can say no to that. That we would live in the freedom that he paid for. Maybe you're in the place tonight you're not a follower of Christ, or maybe sin is your master. Maybe you sit here, and as we've talked about this, all you keep going back to in your mind is the spot where you struggle, that thought. Can I tell you that the invitation that Jesus made to every person on the world in the world is this, that you can come and follow me, and that forgiveness for all of your sins is right there for you, and that the opportunity to live free from all that stuff that you hate about you, that opportunity is on the table tonight that you can say yes to God's offer tonight. Is he, he says, I love you. It doesn't matter all the stuff that you've done. I've taken care of all of that. I'll forgive it. I'll make it all. I'll give you a chance to, to, to start over. Would you say yes to me? So the question tonight is, you know, who needs Jesus? Well, anyone who needs to be forgiven or anybody who, I guess, needs to be saved from their sin. Tonight, if that's you, I just want to encourage you that, that all it takes is that understanding of, I need to be saved from my sin. Jesus, I don't know anything other than that, but I need you. And I'll start right here and watch what he does in the rest of that as you follow him. She can walk free. She can live free. I want to leave you with that tonight, and I pray that it doesn't leave you. I pray that the next time that you face the cycle, and it may even be on the way home tonight, that you realize that you can look it straight in the eye and say, you know what, sin? not my master, not my master. And may the joy of living that life just shine to a world that's facing the same thing every single day where sin is their master. They're desperately needing a new one. Can we pray? Father, I pray tonight for each and every one of us, including me. I thank you for your word that it's alive and powerful, that it shows us uh, what's really going on inside, but it also gives us the, the, uh, the ability and the knowledge and the power to to change and to do what is right. Holy Spirit, that you put that uh, in us and that you are, are the power at work within us. We thank you for that tonight. Thank you for freedom. Thank you for lighting that up in my life. Thank you for, for setting me free and giving me the chance to walk in freedom. I pray that for every one of my brothers and sisters here tonight, that they would have the chance to experience that as well, that it would be said about them 
that you came and gave them life and that they're experiencing life in abundance here and now and for eternity. Lord, what a great way for us to praise you with our lives as we live them out for you. As we walk out from this place today, I know that we don't leave you here. Holy Spirit, I pray that just again, that, that uh, realization of your presence in and on every life as it goes from here. And for those who are just wrestling with that thought, Lord, of, <laughs> of wanting to turn their life over to you, I pray you give them courage to make that decision tonight, to begin following you, to begin living a life with you, and to begin living a life of true freedom. It's in your amazing name, and for your glory, and only for you we pray. Amen.